Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hey, folks, today is Tuesday, April 14th, 2020. Coming up on Rolling Mark Unfiltered, Donald Trump loses his damn mind at the coronavirus news conference, attacks the media. Then he actually says he can do whatever the hell he wants as president. He has all power. I didn't realize we elected a king. We'll be joined by Congresswoman Bonnie, Johnson, Bonnie Coleman of New Jersey to talk about how Trump has totally mishandled this pandemic. Folks, there's a critical tool that could be used to control the spread of coronavirus, but will it cost the safety of African-Americans across the country? We'll discuss that. And apparently, someone did not educate Trump, again, of the governmental structure. He is still <laughs> trying to tell people what they can do. Y'all, it ain't going to work. Plus, the Trump administration attempts to prove they have done a great job when it comes to handling the pandemic. We know that's a lie. Big news today, uh, President Barack Obama formally endorses Joe Biden for president in an 11-minute video. Ooh, and NASCAR driver Kyle Larson is probably not happy with this whole coronavirus deal. He used the N-word in this virtual NASCAR race on Sunday. 
Uh, today, Kyle has no job. All of his sponsors have left. He has been fired by his racing team and indefinitely suspended by NASCAR. That's what happens when you use the N-word. Hmm. It's time to bring the funk on Roller Mark Unfiltered. Let's go. The drama continues when it comes to the White House and, Jesus, these corona briefings, they simply cannot get out of the way and focus on the issue at hand. Folks, as of today, 605,000 plus cases of coronavirus, 25,394 people have died, 10 thousand of those people in New York City alone. 38,000 patients are recovering from the virus. Folks, this has been just a stunning, stunning chain of events in this country over the last two months. In his daily briefing, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, says they are flattening the curve. He explains. Total hospitalizations actually basically flat, technically uh, tick down, which is probably the first tick down. So that's a good sign, but basically flat. So we think we are at the apex on the plateau. The number of hospitalizations went up, flattened, continuing to flatten, good sign. Technically, the number's down a tad, Statistically irrelevant, but better than being up. The net change in total hospital hospitalizations, if you look at the curve, which is what, when you do the three-day average, which is more accurate than any one day, because remember, this reporting mechanism is, is new. Uh, we put it in over during this situation, so I wouldn't bet all the chips on any one day. But when you look at three days, you look at the overall curve, uh, we think it's indicative. So the three-day average is down. The net change in ICU admissions is down. Again, the ICU admissions I take with a grain of salt since hospitals are no longer what they were, and they're basically all ICU wards. Folks, uh, today's White House briefing has not started yet. Uh, we'll see exactly how crazy it is uh, because yesterday was truly, let's just for lack of a better phrase, batshit crazy where Donald Trump actually blamed the media for his failure to lead.
people should be more concerned right now with the flu in this country. A lot of people are concerned about the coronavirus because they're hearing a lot of news about it right now. But the reality is comparing it to the flu, for example, it's not even close to being at that stage. What if it is worse? Is this a moment where maybe countries put politics aside, a little bit of pride aside, and do we have U.S. officials? Should U.S. professionals such as yourself get involved? How worried should Americans be? Okay, see, that's that propaganda video Donald Trump actually showed yesterday. And when he got questioned, he literally said, I'm the king. I can do whatever it is I want to do. Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of lives by putting time that you bought. The argument is that you bought yourself some time and you didn't use it to prepare hospitals. You didn't use it to ramp up testing. Right you're now, so, you're so, 20 you're so disgraceful. It's so Tens disgraceful the way you say that. Let, let me just... Listen, I just went over it. I just went over it. Nobody thought we should do it. And when I did it... But what did you do with the time that you bought? You know the we month did? of February. That, you that know what we did? Yeah. What do you do? What do you do when you have no case in the whole United States? You had cases when in you, you excuse me, you reported it. Zero cases, zero deaths on January seventeenth. January. February. The entire January. Month of February, I said in January. Your video has a complete gap. On January thirty. What did your administration do in February with the time that your travel ban? A lot. What? A lot. And in fact, we'll give you a list. What we did, in fact, part of it was up there. It we did a lot. Look, look. You know you're a fake. You know that your whole network, the way you cover it, is fake. And most of you, and not all of you, but the people are wise to you. That's why you have a lower, a lower approval rating than you've ever had before, times probably three. And when you ask me that question, let me ask you this. Why didn't Biden... Why didn't why did Biden apologize? Why did he write a letter of apology? No, that's very important. Why did the Democrats think that I acted too quickly? You know why? Because they really thought that I acted too quickly. We have done a great job. Now, I could have I could have kept it open. And I could have done what some countries are doing. They're getting beat up pretty badly. I could have kept it open. I thought of keeping it open because nobody's ever heard of closing down a country, let alone the United States of America. But if I would have done that, we would have had hundreds of thousands of people that would right now be dead. We've done this right. And we, we really, we really have done this right. The problem is the press doesn't cover it the way it should be. Go ahead, one more. Oh, so... He's upset the press just doesn't kiss his butt and do what he wants to do. Well, today, he had a photo op with folks who have survived the coronavirus. And let's just say he is not happy with Paula Reed of CBS. This happened today. Go to my iPad. Thank you all very much. We'll see you in a little while. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much. We'll see you in a little while. Let Thanks. me just say right now, if y'all not following Paula Reed or CBS on Twitter, you should. That's how you are to stand up to an idiot. That's how you are to deal with somebody 
who is completely out of control, who does not want to answer any questions, uh, and uh, who wants to berate uh, and demean the press at every juncture. Joining us right now is Congresswoman Bonnie Coleman, uh, Bonnie Watson Coleman of New Jersey. Congresswoman, glad to have you on the show. Uh, Thank you for having me. To talk to, to look at that complete meltdown. He doesn't like being challenged. He does not like being challenged by a woman. Uh, he has treated women uh, in the White House press corps worse than anyone else, uh, and that's simply what, what he cannot tolerate. And this guy actually thinks that he can do whatever he wants as if no rules, no laws apply to him. Sir Roland, the president of the United States has a multiplicity of problems. He's a pathological liar. He's not very smart. He doesn't understand government. He has no compassion. He has no morality. And he has no values for anything other than what he thinks makes him look good. And to tell you the truth, as a person who's been in government the majority of her life, and a person who, even as an African-American in a country that didn't always treat us and doesn't always treat us the way we should be treated, I love this country, and it hurts me to my heart that he uses that bully platform to berate people, to denigrate the office, to lie outright to people, and to spend that time when he should be giving us information as to what makes us safer, giving us information, how are you gonna get the doggone supplies to the people and the hospitals that need them? How are you gonna make sure that the money that's been in these bills to protect people who are not getting a paycheck, how are you gonna support the small businesses that are dying now because everyone is staying home? How are you gonna protect the people on the front lines in the hospitals? Where are you gonna get them the supplies that they need? Instead, he stands up there like a raving maniac and idiot. And it's sickening to watch. Uh, of course, he's on the new. He's on right now, beginning this news conference uh, from the Rose Garden. Uh, I don't carry uh, his news conferences live when he is speaking, uh, primarily because he lies too much. And so, to me, I would much prefer to go back and fact check what he said to ensure that what he gave out was proper and correct. If Dr. Fauci or Dr. Burke steps to the microphone, or any of the health experts step to the microphone, we will do that. Uh, but the reality is, anytime he speaks, and even Mike Pence, when he comes up to basically back up whatever he just lied about, so that's one of the reasons why we do not take uh, what he has to say live. We now are also... Uh, go ahead, I'm we sorry. We thank God for the fact-checkers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so, and again, absolutely. so it's not a question of saying, well, no, we can't play what you say, but you better be truthful when you actually speak. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what is happening uh, when it comes to additional assistance. I am hearing, I've been talking about this for the last several weeks, but it's really the case now. I'm hearing from more and more African-American business owners who are scared to death that they're going to lose their business. They're going to have to lay off and fire staff. They're going to lose everything that they have. Uh, and so, you know, how, what is Congress doing to ensure uh, that more dollars are going to go to these businesses and not also be a logjam where these banks are picking winners and losers and they're leaving out many black folks? Well, right now there's a, a negotiation that's taking place that involves uh, Democrats who want to make sure that money and resources get down to the smaller businesses, 
the minority businesses, women-owned businesses, disadvantaged businesses, uh, even the nonprofits that work in those communities. So Mitch McConnell had proposed another tranche of money, billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars, to go out to small businesses because they are using the money up really quickly. But the problem is, is that they put them in categories where they were competing with people with 500 employees, very sophisticated businesses, and the smaller businesses weren't getting the kind of traction that they needed or the attention. And those that didn't have certain banking relationships weren't even getting the attention of the banks. So we're negotiating as best we can to make sure that uh, a portion of the money that gets out in this interim bill, and this is not the big bill that will or the next big bill or the next big bill that may have to come out. But this interim bill that's being negotiated right now, in addition to having money go out to small businesses, that there, there are carve-outs for the very small businesses, for the small banks, the community banks, the minority lending institutions that Republicans have refused to um, target and support. And at the same time, we're trying to negotiate that the money gets into things like additional SNAP provisions, additional um, direct assistance to individuals who need those, those checks, as well as making sure we have appropriate PPE and other kinds of gear that hospitals need. Our hospitals are desperately needing money. And so we're negotiating that right now as an interim bill. And it's a tough negotiation because we know that the small businesses need additional money. It was gobbled up really quickly. We know that the smallest of businesses, the ones in our communities, are didn't get any enough attention. Our churches aren't even getting the attention that they need. But they're supposed to be support and protection for even them. So the negotiations that are taking place right now are pretty painful, I think. But we're not going to give in until we get some guaranteed support that gets down to the neediest, not the greediest. So also talk about a bill that uh, CBC members are also pushing, and that is to compel the federal government to release daily race data when it comes to coronavirus. Why is that important? Well, because we're finding out, and just really no surprise to any of us that when America gets a cold, black folks get pneumonia, that the disproportionate impact on the black community in both the infection as well as the death rate is something that we need to pay attention to because that's what happens to us. And so finally, there's a discussion on the main stage. Even Dr. Fauci uh, mentioned it, recognizing that we've got this disproportionate negative impact happening in our communities. So we need to have data collected on a daily basis because from that data, we need to know where to send the resources and to send them in a um, expedited way. We need more testing. We need rapid response testing. And we need it in the communities that have been underserved as well in, as in other communities. So that's why the data collection is vital. Uh, also, uh, last question for you. You, uh, early on, caught uh, the uh, directive from the Department of Labor suspending affirmative action guidelines. Uh, is that still in place? Uh, you raised the issue, the National Urban League and others picked up on that. Uh, and so where do we stand when it comes to that? Well, we sent a letter to them. The Black Caucus has been uh, pushing that out as well. We've asked that language in any bill that, that comes out 
um, under the coronavirus uh, support mechanism uh, has language in it that says that you will not dispense any of the affirmative action and EEO requirements in any government activities under the coronavirus bill. So I, I haven't gotten a response from them. I don't expect them to go um, easily on this, but I think it is an important issue that we need to focus on because affirmative action has only been about leveling the playing field. And so with these hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, that are going to go out um, as a result of this corona coronavirus issue, we need to be able to benefit from it from the service perspective as well as the business perspective. All right. Congresswoman Bonnie Watson-Coleman of New Jersey, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much, and we'll keep uh, Thank you. giving them help. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. All right, then, folks. Uh, we want to uh, introduce our panel uh, right now. Joining us is Kelly Bethea. She is a communication strategist. Malik Abdul, Republican strategist. Karen Hunter, host of The Karen Hunter Show. Karen, I want to start with you. Uh, watching that um, joke of a news conference yesterday to see this meltdown of Donald Trump, this is some a man who cannot tolerate getting questioned, especially by women. Uh, how he berated Paula Reed how he berates other people, uh, shows the kind of uh, shameless attitude uh, that he has, uh, and that coming out trying to play that video uh, to cover up all the screw-ups of his administration. I mean, it's a little hard to try to say it, it's fake when the New York Times got a hold of the actual emails that were being shared back and forth by scientists and doctors uh, warning them we've got to go quicker and faster in order to contain this. Karen? All right, hold I've on. Been this. I'm, I'm, I'm now we got you. Now we got your audio. Go ahead. I've been saying this for the better part of a year that journalists, and, and there has to be a line drawn in the sand, while I, I definitely praise the people who are standing in the gap, like Lamiche Alcinda and others, April Ryan, and of course, the young lady yesterday from CBS. The reality is if, if our media outlets stop giving him airtime when he starts spreading lies, and I think CNN... Uh, for for example, actually on their Chiron said he had a meltdown, and they on their Chiron they actually said, they broke away from the lying part of the conference, focused on Fauci, and then went back to their own panel. We need to start covering him the way he deserves to be covered, not as a credible source, not as a, as a medical professional, not even as a leader. As a proper, he's using these press conferences as de facto, um, you know, rallies because he can't do those anymore. And we, the people, are not being served by that. Journalism is supposed to focus on facts and truth. And as soon as he gets up there to open his mouth, they should cut away. And he should be grilled the way he was grilled every single day and not let him off the hook because he clearly cannot stand up against that. Um, Kelly, bottom line is, again, how this so-called grown man responds is just really shameful uh, because he doesn't like being questioned. When Paula Reed said, wait a minute, you played a video and you skipped from January 17th to March, and she says, what were you doing in February? He, oh, we were doing a lot. That's not an answer. No, it's not an answer. Actually, I would venture to say that it is an answer. It's just not the one we want to hear, right? The answer is that he did absolutely nothing for a month and a half, and we are where we are right now because of it. 
So the fact that he's saying we've done a lot, well, you did a whole lot of nothing, Mr. President, and it shows in the numbers of people who have died. It shows in the numbers of people who have been exposed to this virus, and it shows in the lack of support that the federal government has uh, given out to these states. It shows everywhere. It just doesn't show in the best light of him, and that is the problem. Uh, Mellick, this is a guy who you support, you voted for, plan to do so again. Why is he so afraid of getting asked questions? Uh, and why does he actually have to berate people, especially women? How he talked to Paula Reed, how he trashed Yamish Alcindor, who was simply repeating back to him his own words, your boy is thin-skinned. Yeah, Donald Trump is thin-skinned, and I don't think that that's a, that shouldn't be a shock to anyone. From, from my perspective, Donald Trump is pretty equal opportunity when it comes to who he goes after. So if it's Jim Acosta, if it's not Jim Acosta, it's someone else. So he does that a lot. I'm not exactly sure what was going on in the White House on yesterday, because in many part of what Donald Trump was making, at least the argument about the government's um, authority, it was the different argument and what he's been making over the past several weeks as far as state's authority. So I don't know what it is there, but, but, but the but young Mellick, lady, but who I think you said she was from, I think you said she was from CBS. Paula Reed, reporter, Paula Reed from CBS. Yeah. Um, the, the reporter, what I, what I, I get so confused by because I read stuff, then I hear stuff and I don't know why this point, you know, um, Secretary Azar, Mike Pence, Fauci, Dr. Burks, all of them have been there. So I don't know why we don't know a concrete answer as to what happened in February. I don't think that we need to get to Donald Mellick, Trump really? to ask Trump to explain. No, 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 no. They've been there. No, no, the, no, no. Um, professionals, Azar, all of them have been there. So ask them the question. Okay, but 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 Melik, but Melik, but Melik, you can't. But Melik, you can't ask them the questions when Donald Trump is hogging the microphone. Just yesterday, I mean, I, ju uh, hold on <laughs> one second. Just uh, yesterday, just yesterday, Anthony Fauci gave an interview. And he talked about, he said, these news conferences are draining. And somebody yeah. said, why? He said, because they're long. Here's the reality. Donald Trump stands there to commandeer the microphone to say nothing. He literally repeats information. Oh, things are going great. This is just, wow, no one ever could have expected this. This is just uh, the, the business community response. He's repeating the same thing. The problem is... He won't let the experts talk because he demands the attention. That's what narcissists do, Malik. Well, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, he commands the attention, but in each press conference, I think maybe with the exception of yesterday, Donald Trump leaves. And so the secretaries, the, the professionals, all of them are there. So I don't know why at this point we don't have an answer. Why haven't the Republican, I mean, the, um, reporters drilled the administration outside of it. Put Trump to the side. He has you people there to answer these questions. Melly, come on. I, can't... Even in his absence, they're there to answer these questions. Karen, Fauci, even... Fauci is on television every single day. I mean, so it's not like these people aren't available. I just don't know why we don't have an answer from the people Melly, who are on. there when they're not with Trump. Karen, you know this is laughable because he won't let them talk. No, and, and, and because this is a rally for him, he's not giving up that mic. This is the only opportunity he has to reach his base every single night. He has full court 
with his base to deliver the lies over and over and over again. And again, if the media would just cut away from him, wouldn't give him this airtime, he would have to be quiet because all he cares about are his ratings, right? And he has ratings because the media feels compelled to show him every single night. I don't even tune in anymore, Roland. I don't know how anybody's doing it. I don't know how anybody is listening. I'll see Fauci. When he's off, I'm out. I watch Andrew Cuomo every day. I watch Bill Murphy because I'm from Jersey. But I can't tune in to Donald Trump's press conferences. And I don't know how this gentleman is doing it. Here's I feel the, like we're being punked right now by him. Here's the deal, Kelly. This is just well, the, you're, you're not getting punked. You don't, have, you don't have to worry about why I watch the press conference. That's for my purposes, not yours. Ke Kelly, this is real simple. This is real simple. Donald Trump does did does did not like the attention that Mike Pence was receiving, that Dr. Anthony Fauci was receiving. He toast chose to interject himself into this. He has routinely made stuff up. He has routinely lied. He has routinely put out stuff that hasn't even happened and touted as a big announcement. I mean, more than a month ago, there was a news conference where we had the CEO of Walmart and the CEO of CVS and the CEO of Walgreens, and we were going to have these drive-through testing for uh, uh, outposts in parking lots. Kelly, none of that has happened. None of it. None of it. And he only did it on a Friday because the stock market was tanking, and mm -hmm. he did it. He precisely did it at 3 p.m. in order for the stock market to rebound, it ain't happened. And he just makes stuff up, and you gotta have, and then Pence doesn't want to embarrass him, so comes back to affirm the lie, which is why I can't take him anymore, because he just affirms the lie. That's the real deal, Kelly. It's really frustrating. Um, to Karen's point about why the media is feeling compelled to even uh, show these press conferences is that traditionally you give deference to the president whenever he's on a podium. Now the problem is the deference is 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 really just uh, a game at this point. It's really just a farce and, you know, a bunch of pomp and circumstance with no real weight underneath it because he has taken the weight out of it. He has really diluted the power and the authority of the presidency of the United States. And it's just incredibly, incredibly sad. To your point, Roland, about the 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 Walmart and, and Walgreens and the whole drive I didn't anticipate anything happening out of that anyway, because again, we are dealing with a liar in chief. We are dealing with somebody who routinely lies, who routinely tries to smooth things over and gloss things over with his words, which are quite limited, by the way. And we just have to deal with the fact that he will consistently make promises he can't keep and he will strategically place those promises in in time frames that are crucial to either a stock market or deadline or something that is that is pressing for the American people. It's just incredibly sad. Um, I, I just Again, like Karen said, I I'm frankly tired of it. With Pence even backing up his claims, the only difference between Trump and Pence is that uh, Pence has a, a more extensive vocabulary for his lying, so it makes more sense when he says something out of his mouth. But even Trump interrupts him. So a liar is interrupting a liar who is completely ignoring the people who are actually telling the truth, like Dr. Fauci and others. It it's just, it's very convoluted.
it's very frustrating, and I just am, am tired of it. I'm well. Here's here's the new lie, Melik. So a few moments ago, Trump announces that he is pulling funding from the World Health Organization because the group praised China's transparency. That's what he said. That's what Donald Trump just said a few moments ago. Go to my iPad, please. Hello? Yeah. Go to my iPad. Uh, this, this right here, Malik, is a tweet that your guy sent out at 4.18 p.m. on January 24th, 2020. China has been working very hard to contain the coronavirus. The United States greatly appreciates their efforts and transparency. It will all work out well. In particular, on behalf of the American people, I want to thank President Xi. Malik, your guy yes. just yes, stood sir. there to say he's pulling money to the World Health Organization because they praise China's transparency when he <laughs> praised China's transparency. Well, to be fair, on that was on January 24th. If you keep in mind, it was, I think it was January 21st when Dr. Fauci was one of the ones who was saying that although we should take it seriously, that this virus is not something that's no, no, a no, Melik, 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 you're trying to move so the goalpost. Melik, Melik, one second. We're not discussing taking something seriously. We are discussing Donald right. Trump. No, 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 no. Donald Trump literally just said that the World Health Organization praised China's transparency, which he criticizes. Donald Trump, right here, is praising China's transparency. What's the difference? Yes, and to finish my point, I think around that time, at least according to the reports that we have thus far, the United States was operating under a different assumption about where China was in their transparency. Actually, actually, if, he, if, you, if Donald Trump had listened to his, his intelligence, because that was an intelligence unit who was saying at that time what was actually happening in China, and it wasn't, it actually wasn't measuring up with what China is saying, but... Your guy didn't listen to the intelligence. Well, that, well, that was a, it seems, it seems as if, it, if you believe the New York Times article, that there was a lot of discussion January up until now where there was some disagreement. I believe in, even in that article, it talks about the fact that there was disagreement between those um, government officials that you're referencing and his public health experts. So there was some, you know, I guess some disagreement there. But for the most part, in January, we were operating under a totally different assumption as far as where the where the virus was. But no, I do think no, we that there are lots of things there. I do believe that there are a lot of things, a lot of information we can get from these press conferences, but I don't know why after all of this time, and, and again, I'll repeat, put Donald Trump to the side. Donald Trump leaves the podium at some <laughs> point and goes out the door, but the reporter should start asking those questions. What happened in January? You know Ask what, Karen? 
Yeah, ask Azar about stuff like the testing failures. Ask them about the reagents. You can continue to ask these questions. Hey, 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 Melik, hasn't tried? Why do you act like these reporters have not tried to get the truth out of the president? You see every single day these reporters going at him, asking the hard questions. Here he goes. Hold up one second. Hold up, hold up. That was Kelly. I want to bring in Karen. Hold up, Melik, 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 hold on. Karen, go ahead. I'm just saying that the gaslighting has been very effective, as we see, Exhibit A. And what's disturbing is there's nothing that we're going to be able to say to convince this gentleman that Trump doesn't walk on water, that he's not almighty, that he has not corrected everything that he does. And that's what's really disturbing. A lot of us are wasting our breath trying to put logic on this. This is illogical. This unwavering support of Donald Trump is illogical. It makes no logical sense on paper or anyplace else. And I don't know what, quite frankly, we can do to change somebody's perspective who has been gaslit into oblivion and who buys these lies. They've drank, they've taken the Kool-Aid in and it tastes delicious to them, even though there's arsenic laced in this Kool-Aid. I don't know what to do do about this, Roland. It Uh, is the frustration uh of my life. Right now. Well, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. It's amazing well, to watch. To watch going on. Hold. Hold on one second. Hold. 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 Hold on one second here. Hold on one second here. Because uh, this. Um, just getting it. This in here. We talk about how these. How these things are shifting uh, and moving. Uh, Mayor Latoya Cantrell uh, just uh, held a news conference um, a little while ago where she is urging large events in New Orleans not to take place until 2021. Uh, Jazz and Heritage Festival, Essence Festival. Uh, She held a news conference where she said uh, these should not be pushed back towards the end of the year. Of course, Essence is normally in July. They were talking about looking at doing it in August and September. She is now saying uh, that that should not happen in 2020. Uh, New Orleans has had a a serious outbreak uh, of uh, coronavirus. Uh, A significant number of people have died, a number of them African-Americans. Uh, Kelly, is that um, uh, a smart call by, by, by the mayor? Even though this is April, even though folks are talking about, Trump is talking about reopening, possibly, quote, reopening the country May 1st. Uh, here you have the, uh, the New Orleans mayor. I mean, look, the Essence Festival is the largest live event in the country, attracting upwards mm-hmm. of 400,000 people to New Orleans. Uh, that is a huge, it would be a huge financial hit to the company because it is the biggest revenue generator for Essence Communications. Kelly. I totally understand both sides of this, both from a an, an economic and entertainment perspective, but also this is a public health emergency. We are in the middle of a pandemic, and even though this event, Essence Fest, is scheduled in July, we really don't know exactly when the curve is going to be on the downside and flatten out altogether. So as a precaution, I do think it is smart of uh, the New Orleans mayor to to just de- to just say, hey, we're not going to have this festival. Yes, it is a sacrifice economically speaking, but this is also a show of how this mayor and municipal government is really taking... Uh, the value of people over money. So I applaud them for that. Karen, um, she said that she is concerned not only with uh, the containment of coronavirus in New Orleans and Louisiana, but also from states where people will be traveling. So far, uh, New Orleans has had 21,500, excuse me, Louisiana 
has had 21,518 people test positive for COVID-19. 1,013 people uh, have died. Uh, this obviously is different because by her saying, don't even do it in 2020, what she's basically saying is, this thing will not be under control and contained okay. by June, July, August. She's saying, don't even think about the rest of 2020. That's a huge, huge call Listen, by her. The, we're talking about reopening this country when probably roughly less than 10% of us have even been tested. How in the world can... And, and unfortunately, black people are disproportionately impacted from Chicago to Detroit to New York to New Orleans, where we make up a small percentage but are the face of COVID-19, the face of coronavirus, to have 400,000 basically black people descend on a city and then come back into our own respective cities, many of us carrying the disease without knowing it, without symptoms, but having these underlying conditions, also having these close quarters that we live in. The, unless we have widespread testing, unless everybody that comes in gets tested and then they get to come in, I can't see it opening back up. That would be irresponsible. Uh, and we're Mellet, go with your comment. Yeah, I, you know, it's a hard decision for the mayor to make, and I'm pretty sure that others around the country are going to be making similar decisions. But I just want to address Karen very quickly. Hold up. Um, she made a she she made a lot of um, statements there. That just, but what I will say, Karen, to you specifically, if you want to know where I disagreed with Donald Trump, I suggest you type my name into Google, and you'll probably see that there are many instances. Okay. Where okay. Melek. 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 Of course, Roland, you're going to wave that off. Melek. Melek. Melek, I'm waving. Melek, one second, one second. Melek, I'm not dealing with all that. First of all, I'm talking about New Orleans. I'm talking. I'm discussing. I'm discussing New Orleans. That's the that that was the story I moved to. I didn't get a chance to respond to your guest attacking me on your show. Nobody attacked you. I didn't get a chance to respond to it, but I mean, it's no big deal. Nobody attacked you. It was her comment. First of all, it wasn't even attacked. And well, that's what she just did, and you know okay, that she's it. lying. Here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not, wasting, I'm not, I mean, I'm not wasting time on that. All right, here's the deal, folks. Here's the deal, folks. Here we go. Google and Apple announced that they will collaborate to enable coronavirus contact tracing on our devices. What that means is they'll use location data from your phone paired with COVID-19 status also stored on your phone to triangulate who may have possibly been exposed and infected. This is already happening in China and South Korea, and there's no federal privacy law in place for this. So what does that mean for African-Americans who we are, know are already over-police? Joining me now is Angela Benton, founder of Streamlytics. Angela, glad to have you here. So ex explain this tracing thing. I mean, is, is, is the goal of it to be able to have an understanding of the coronavirus in your area or in your surrounding area? Yeah, so contact tracing basically is a methodology that folks in public health tend to use to track contagion or the spread of a virus. Um, the reason why this is so important right now is because, as you mentioned, Google and Apple, they're teaming up together to use data, location data that is on your phone. The first phase of it will be through an app that they release that's voluntary, but then the second phase, they're actually changing their operating system to enable um, access to your location data and also your health data that might be stored on the phone. All right. So how does it impact us? Does it help us? Does it hurt us? Can police use this for other tracking purposes? Who will be in control of this data? 
That's a great question. There's no data privacy law at all right now, which is a huge issue. And so when you take into account um, minority audiences who are basically um, affected way more than a lot of other demographics, it's a huge problem. And what comes into play is, you know, historical mishandlings of tracking or um, I think the word that I'm going to use, I wrote a whole op-ed about this on my blog, but um, essentially the freedom papers. And so while we do want the country to be reopened and we do want to use contact tracing, we want to do it responsibly and we want to do it with a data privacy law in place. That's a big, big thing, um, particularly for African-Americans, because as you just mentioned your story before, you know, New Orleans, who, which is hugely impacted, um, folks like Google and Apple will potentially give access to your data to other government officials and will be able to track who you've been in contact with, who you've been around. Mm. Okay. Um, what? So is this actually happening? Are they proposing it? And who gets to control it? Local? State? federal, or can they do whatever they want to do? Well, right now, tech companies are pretty much doing whatever they want to do already with your data, and they are giving an API, basically, to local government officials. So the people who will have access to your data is everyone but you, basically. Um, so I hope that answers your question. Well, that certainly uh, is quite interesting. I mean, we, we, look, I understand folks want to focus on safety, want to focus on the health, but we still have to factor in how data can be used against us for whatever purposes. And then the key is who own, who controls the data, who owns the data. And yeah, and we know all these tech companies have run into problems with the federal government when it comes to privacy issues. Right. So the privacy issues are, are huge. And there, have, there was actually a law, a bill that was introduced on March 13th. The issue is we really don't want something to be fast-tracked because of all the chaos that's going on with the pandemic. And so it's very important for, number one, communities of color to even understand that there's no federal data privacy law at all right now. But you can use your, you know, your voice, let people that you know, sign a petition. You can go to gotmydata.com. Um, I have a petition there. This is something that I'm personally doing outside of, you know, my company, Streamlytics, just because this is hugely important um, to communities of color and nobody's talking about it. So, you know, it's something that we don't need to overlook. I'm writing a letter to Congress, the Federal Trade Commission, who will likely oversee a lot of this. And we're, we're letting them know specific things need to be included in any data privacy laws that are expedited. Gotcha. All right, then. Uh, I certainly appreciate it. Angela Benton, founder of Streamlytics. Thank you so very much. Thanks. All right, folks. During yesterday's press briefing, Donald Trump revealed that he thinks he's a king. Check this out. By your understanding of your authority vis-a-vis -vis governors, uh, just to be very specific. For instance, if a governor issued a state home, when you say my authority, the president's authority, not mine, because it's not me. This is when somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total. 
And that's the way it's got to be. Total. Your authority is total. It's total. It's total. And the governors know that. So if, a, if a the governors know that. Now you have a couple of bands of, of excuse me, excuse me. You have a couple. Could you rescind that order? You have a couple of bands of uh, of uh, Democrat governors, but they will agree to it. They will agree to it. But uh, the authority of the president of the United States having to do with the subject we're talking about is total. That is utterly laughable. Joining us right now is Patricia Broussard. She is the constitutional law professor at Florida A&M University. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Excuse me for laughing. But, Patricia, really? Really? You didn't forget reading the Constitution. You can at least, you know, you can at least just walk by it and know that's just stupid. Well, under normal circumstances, I would agree with you 100%. Probably last month, I would agree with you 100%. So, you know, there are two different questions you're asking. You're asking, is it constitutional? That's one question. You're asking, can he do it? That's an entirely different question that you're asking. And first, let me thank you for having me on. And secondly, let me shout out. Uh, the Florida A&M University College of Law, my colleagues, and especially my students who I love dearly, and to my alma mater, Howard University School of Law. So, you know, in-, in Dog, you're getting all the shout outs in. Well, you know- You leave it, anybody out? <laughs> in, 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 you you want to do your high school, your middle school, your elementary school? Well, I, you know, this is such a hard time for everybody. Uh, the students are suffering really a lot. So- I got I have you. To, I have to prep them up, prop them up a little bit. I got you. But, but to the first question, you know, when I saw that clip, I, I was like, what is he talking about? So if you have to guess what he's talking about, if you have to speculate as to what he's talking about, you know he's probably uh, not talking about anything that makes any real sense. I couldn't figure out if he was talking about powers that he derived from the Constitution, inherent powers of the presidency, emergency powers, or, or what exactly he was talking about. But I concluded that irrespective of if he was talking about uh, constitutional powers, inherent powers, or uh, emergency powers, that he would still be wrong with respect to whether those are constitutional. So that that's my first answer, that, you know, we can go through an academic analysis of all of those powers and we can see that it's not in the Constitution that says he can do that. It's not an inherent power because the court has said uh, in Youngstown's Sheet and Tubing Company that there is no inherent powers to the presidency, and that has been debated since the Constitution was drafted. Alexander Hamilton said there were inherent powers. James Madison said they, there were not inherent powers to the president. And by inherent powers, we mean powers that are not listed in the Constitution but are derived from the position of being president. For example, you know, if you're the president of a fraternity, you get to bang the gavel. So th th it doesn't say that in the, the rules, but it says that inherently because of what you get to do. So no inherent powers. The emergency powers are circumscribed and limited. And so I, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. Now, when he said something about I have many, many, many powers, that's what led me to believe that he was talking about the Emergency Powers Act, because there are actually 136 actions that can be taken as a result of, of that act. But there are, there, there, it's circumscribed. It's not unlimited. But the thing about it is, there's this little thing that we have called the Tenth Amendment. Mm -hmm. And the Tenth Amendment says that all the powers that are not explicit, all the powers that are not delineated in the Constitution, go to the states. So I find it ironic that you would say, on the one hand, states, you're on your own, get your own uh, respirators, ventilators, masks, 
you can do this. And then to turn around and say, we're going to dictate the parameters of, um, of how you handle this emergency that we have stepped back from. So I think the Tenth Amendment is very clear here that the, that the governors can make decisions. They can do what they want to do. The problem I have and my hesitancy, and the reason I said, if you had asked me this last year or previous to this, um, I would have said, oh, unquestionably, he can't do this. The problem that I have and the wild card that I have is the United States Supreme Court. Um, I'm not sure, you know, when you see a Supreme Court rule that in the middle of a pandemic, you can have a, a, an election, no problem. When you see a United States uh, Supreme Court that says, oh, it's okay to have a travel ban. When you see a United States Supreme Court that seems to, and I can only speculate, um, that at least four or five members at least bow down to the president. So I think he's feeling pretty confident that um, the, the court will back him. But in addition to that, what are we going to do? Because when I read that Constitution, it says we the people. And so I think the power is in our hands to say, we're not standing for this. But like I said, the question is, right. is it constitutional? I'll say no. The question, if the second question is, will he do it? Can he do something? I wouldn't put it past him. Well, well, right, because here's a guy who, remember, when he came in, he's like, oh, I'm told I can do whatever I want, that no laws apply to me, that he yeah. can't, he, that his whole deal is I can't be charged, you can't do anything. I, he has uttered many times before, I can do whatever I want. And he actually believes that. But here's what's interesting. So clearly there was a conversation probably with some Republican governors and some Republicans in Congress. And so this is Donald Trump a few moments ago on that whole issue. Watch this cleanup on aisle seven. The plans to reopen the country are close to being finalized, and we will soon be sharing details and new guidelines with everybody. I will be speaking to all 50 governors very shortly, and I will then be authorizing each individual governor of each individual state to implement a reopening and a very powerful reopening plan of their state at a time and in a manner as most appropriate. The plan <laughs> ah, Doc, I love this. I'm authorizing governors. Yes. To reopen their states when you can't authorize Jack for a governor. Yeah, under what authority are you trying to do that? Well, and, see, that's, that's the cleanup. That's the cleanup. The cleanup is, I screwed up yesterday. I know the hell I was right. talking about. Now I'm authorizing each governor. I've got, no, I'm authorizing individual governors of individual states on a powerful plan to reopen their state when you can't tell them what the hell to do. You're, you're not the boss of me, not with respect to that. And, and, and like I said, the irony behind saying, you're on your own, get your own ventilators, get your own masks. Right. And if, you, and if you try to get them, we're going to intercede in some way and prevent that. And then to turn around and say, but I get to decide the parameters of your plan. I, I think uh, that's intellectually dishonest and um, th that's not going to happen, period. Patricia Broussard, Constitutional Law Professor at Florida A&M. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
Thank you so much. Good night. Uh, all right, then. Uh, Malik, what, what, what the hell is up with your boy? He, he, he now can tell governors what to do in their state when governors have also limited power to tell mayors and county execs what they can do. I, I, I thought y'all Republicans believed in less government and small government and local control. What I can say is that throughout the day, and, and actually before we came on, I was listening to Judge Janine Pirro basically say the same thing that the um, professor just said. I don't know what, I honestly do not know what, I don't know where Trump got this argument from and asked the you professor. You know where he got it from? You know where he got it from? That empty space between his ears. Yeah, I, I I don't know where he got it from. It is antithetical to what he has been saying about the federal government's role versus the state role. So when you have people on like his very big supporters like Janine Pirro and even earlier this morning on Fox and Friends essentially asking the same question like, no, that's just not how it works. The president doesn't have um, absolute oh. authority over states at all. So, so, Karen, now we know why he reversed field, because Fox News told him to do so. Uh, yeah, that and right. Gazoo. You know, uh, Roland, as we sit here and talk about Donald Trump, you know, we have before us uh, quite a big to road to hope. You know, this, this election in November is probably going to be the most pivotal election of our lifetime. And yet we still have a vast majority of Americans, a vast number of Americans, maybe not the majority, who are still in this Trump bubble. And I don't, I, I don't want to stress this um, more poignantly, but I feel like we are spending a lot of time ridiculing this, this man who is ill-equipped for this position, who never has run anything well in his entire career. He knows how to bankrupt something, which is what we are in right now, bankruptcy, both morally and physically. And let's start focusing on the kind of world we want to see moving forward and the kind of leadership we deserve to have as American citizens. I think we're splitting hairs here. This man is a disaster on so many levels. Humpty Dumpty has fallen off the wall. It is broken. And we need to figure out, we the people, how to put it back together. Let me just thank you for the great guests you've had on that constitutional law professor was amazing. And I, I think she poignantly sp spelled out exactly where we are as a nation. We need to look to what we need to see come next, Roland. This man, I, I just think we're spending a lot of time on how silly he is. No, but, here, but, no, but, but, but here's why. But, but, but Kelly, Kelly, here's why I spend the time. Because here's the deal. I think his ignorance has been normalized. I think his overreach has been normalized. I will never forget, Kelly, watching Morning Joe. I said I was listening to Morning Joe. 2015, the New York Times did a story about Trump's relationship in history with women. Joe Scarborough and uh, Mark Halperin were like, oh, well, people know uh, about him and women. And then Halperin's like, well, that's the best they got. That's not going to do anything. I saw that actually happen, where they blew it off. And I think if we blow off and ignore how this man has disdain for the Constitution, how he gave a speech in Cleveland at the Republican National Convention saying, only I can fix this, but in the Rose Garden, he goes, I have no responsibility with this whatsoever. 
It needs to be highlighted because people out there who are believing the okie doke need to understand how absolutely crazy, deranged, shameful this man is and why he has no business being in the Oval Office. Kelly. I definitely agree with you that his ignorance needs to be highlighted. I think the problem with mainstream media at this point is that they're not highlighting the ignorance. They're just putting a camera on his face and letting him talk. There you go. That is the problem. No one is really checking this man for the... The, the multitude of inconsistencies with his rhetoric, with his planning, with his strategy, if you want to call it one, it is, it is just a camera in his face for the sake of having a camera in his face. And frankly, there are a lot of people in the media right now who are afraid to go ahead to head to head with him and actually ask him the hard questions, which is why I applaud Paula, which is why I applaud the uh, other young uh, woman journalist uh, who was in the Rose Garden, which is why I even applaud the professor who was on, who was able to break so accurately and beautifully, I might add, exactly why he can't do what he says he wants to do. So we do definitely need the coverage of uh, the president in a way that actually highlights his flaws as opposed to just having a camera in his face to illuminate his ignorance. There is a difference. We need to really get down to the nitty-gritty and and just ask the hard question and risk the the possible backlash from the president in, in doing so. Because at this point, like you said, his ignorance has been normalized, and if we just let that happen even further. We're going to end up having another four years of this man, which I'm afraid might happen anyway um, for a multitude of reasons, but hopefully not. Um, if we are eight, if we keep going this route and just normalizing the ignorance, normalizing the racism, normalizing the bigotry, we're going to have another four years. This pandemic is going to extend and we will be in a much worse position come 2024. And look, Melit. We know he's a liar. That's, that's like not even something we can say, well, not quite sure. He lies. And he lies about lies. One of the things that, again, the New York Times story also revealed is that he was angry when you had one of the federal officials who talked about the impact of coronavirus. He puts Pence in charge and goes, no more alarming statements. Donald Trump said... Out of his own mouth, we got 15 cases. We're going to soon be down to zero. Cutlow went out there and said, airtight containment, we're, we're basically there. Donald Trump repeatedly downplayed coronavirus. Then he wants to say, Melling, oh, the Democrats were focused on impeachment, so therefore, that's where all of attention was. When we got video from February 12th of Senator Kamala Harris saying, why did no Trump officials show up to a Department of Homeland Security committee to discuss coronavirus? And their response was, we haven't gotten our talking points together. He is a liar, and he has failed in this response, and we did waste an entire month because of sorry leadership, uh, Melik. That actually happened. It's, indis it's, it's indisputable.
Well, two things. Two things. I don't believe that the press hasn't been covering Donald Trump. It's been a pretty much daily deluge of stories about Donald Trump where the press has challenged him. So I do think that the press is asking those hard questions that you all think they should ask. The second part, and I'm glad you actually mentioned the New York Times article, because in that article, I think you're referring to the CDC official who came out and made the statement as per what the article said, they were planning to have, officials were actually planning to have a conversation with Donald Trump as after he came back from India. Well, what happened is, is that that CDC official got out ahead of that group that was going to meet Donald Trump and then came out with a statement about the, so, uh, the need for social distancing. And I believe it was after that, that's when the market actually collapsed. So if that's the person that you're talking about, I could see Donald Trump having a problem with that because she got out ahead of him and the committee that was actually going to him to talk about those. Yeah, things. I'm sorry. And she was, and she, and, and she was only, and she was only focused on trying to save lives. And the and the reality is, no more, uh, you know, alarming statements. And he kept downplaying it. It wasn't until the middle of March. Then he lied to us by saying. I always thought, I always took this pandemic seriously. Not when you're on video saying, he actually even said an interview with CNBC in January, I think it was January 21st, where he said, oh, yeah, that's just one person from China in the U.S. He said yeah, it. I mean, you, it's on video. Now, if you ask me, you know, personally, I don't think that Donald Trump did not personally himself take it seriously. He projected something that was a little different. And, the, and I'll give you well, an well, example what of what I'm that? talking about here. It, yeah, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. It's similar to a mayor of a city or a governor of a state or something. If there's a problem with violence or anything, that they publicly may actually try to downplay it. If you read that New York Times article, and I read the entire article, it was actually a very good article, but if you read that article, there wasn't a lot that the government did not do as far as Donald Trump, whatever he decided to, however he tried to downplay it. If you read that actual, that New York Times article, there was a lot of stuff about government, government bureaucracy, you know, internal deliberations, disagreements here, disagreements there. But it goes back to what I was saying early on. There's no reason that outside of Trump, with the availability of the people that have been around him on not just Fox News, but on CNN, on MSNBC, on all of the shows, with the number of people that have been out, it's no reasons why we can't get the answers to those questions from the people who were in charge, like directly responsible for those things. I don't think that we just have to get those answers from Donald Trump. There are people out there who can give us those answers. Can I'm, I'm just going to let you respond to that one because that's just light work for me. Go ahead. Uh, no, I don't even want to. Uh, I think that there's, if you could convince me, Roland Martin, that putting out the facts and uh, having a whole dissertation on all of the lies that Donald Trump has put forward, you know, how damaging he is to this republic. All right, Karen, Karen uh, we froze there. Are we there? Karen, you still there? And Karen asking, can you hear me? Yeah, now, yeah you, you froze there, but go ahead. Oh, more people know about Tiger King, Carol Baskin, who killed her husband, all of the details, who got new teeth, than they know about the the, the record of Donald Trump in the, during this pandemic. And that's really what's at the crux of this. Most Americans want to bury their heads in the sand. They want the headlines only, and they don't want the details. If they like Trump, they like Trump, and there's nothing you can do to convince them not to vote for him. And with, that's our uphill battle. 
Right. That's well, well but, you know what, right. but you know what, though? Right. But you know what, though? The, the, to, to me, the, up, the, the battle really is not... Here's the deal. Crazy Trump people are going to vote for Trump, okay? You can talk about all the lies and everything. The key, though, is... The, here's, the, here's the reality. He got three million fewer votes than Hillary Clinton did. He only won the presidency by 78,000 votes, 72,000, 78,000 votes in three states. We just saw, Kelly, what happened in Wisconsin where Republicans tried their best to steal an election uh, with the Supreme Court justice, and they got their asses handed to them because people said, nah, it's not going to happen. I mean, they tried everything. The key right now is you keep exposing the lies, you keep showing the lies, and you also do it. That's why, Kelly, he's suing these small TV stations who are airing the Priorities USA ad that's also putting him on blast, that's showing how he lied. Folks, cue that up. I want to play that ad. Uh, because what he's doing is they're, they're, they're trying to sue media outlets because he doesn't want people to hear his own words. It's laughable, Kelly, to sue somebody saying, oh, it's, they use my own words. The, he then runs an ad yesterday using Maggie Haberman's uh, words out of context to support his position. That's what's going on. And so the people who sat on the sidelines could defeat Donald Trump. And so I say you don't waste time trying to convince a Trump supporter not to vote for him. You convince the people, Kelly, who didn't vote in 2016 why a crazy man got to go. Kelly, your comment. Go to my next story. I definitely agree with you there. Uh, the undecided voters are going to be the make-or-break deal regarding this election because progressives, you know, we know who we're going to vote for because there's only one option at the moment. You know, Republicans, conservatives, they know who they're going to vote for because Donald Trump is the only one on the ticket, if I'm not mistaken. But the undecideds, they're going to be the crux of this. The people who are still, you know, grieving over the fact that Warren's gone or Sanders is gone or Harris is gone, those are the ones that we're going to have to, like, be like, look, I understand that ideology-wise... They were more akin to you, but this is a do-or-die moment. Yep. It really, really is. And to your point regarding uh, Trump suing uh, small media people, at some point, these judges have to say, you know, what he's doing is frivolous lawsuits, and I'm pretty sure you can't do that either, um, that you can be sanctioned or fined or whatever about it. I can't remember the actual procedural stuff, but... He definitely can't keep doing this without ramifications. Well, look, he, look, look, they can keep trying to file lawsuits. And here's the actual priorities you say add that Donald Trump is really so upset about. And they're suing this small TV station in Wisconsin. Why Wisconsin? Ooh, because that was one of the states he barely won in 2016. <laughs> and every vote matters in Wisconsin. Here's the ad. The coronavirus. This is their new hoax. We have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. When you have 15 people, and within a couple of days it's going to be down to close to zero, we really think we've done a great job in keeping it down to a minimum. I like this stuff. I really get it. People are surprised that I understand it. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Priorities USA Action is responsible for the content of this ad. The coronavirus. This is their new hoax. He said, we need a few, uh, <laughs> we got 15 cases. Be soon, in a couple of days, soon down to zero. 
Guys, pull that graphic back up that's showing the number of cases today. No, not that one. The one from the beginning of the show. Donald Trump said in the middle of January, and in February, that we got 15 cases in a couple of days will be down to zero. Folks, as of today, April 14th, there are 605,354 cases. All 50 states, three U.S. territories. Now, people have died in all 50 states. He said it's just one person from China. As of today, there are 25,394 patients who have died, Americans who have died from the coronavirus. Some states saying they're not even fully counting the people who have died from it. But Donald Trump was trying to keep our hopes up. Hmm. Well, today, folks, President Barack Obama got himself involved in the presidential campaign by releasing this video endorsing his vice president, Joe Biden, for the office of president of the United States. Hi, everybody. Let me start by saying the obvious. These aren't normal times. As we all manage our way through a pandemic unlike anything we've seen in a century, Michelle and I hope that you and your families are safe and well. If you've lost somebody to this virus, or if someone in your life is sick, or if you're one of the millions suffering economic hardship, please know that you're in our prayers. Please know that you're not alone. Because now's the time for all of us to help where we can and to be there for each other as neighbors, as co-workers, and as fellow citizens. In fact, over the past weeks, we've seen plenty of examples of the kind of courage, kindness, and selflessness that we're going to need to get through one of the most difficult times in our history. Michelle and I have been amazed at the incredible bravery of our medical professionals who are putting their lives on the line to save others, the public servants and health officials battling this disease, the workers taking risks every day to keep our economy running, and everyone who's making their own sacrifice at home with their families, all for the greater good. But if there's one thing we've learned as a country from moments of great crisis, it's that the spirit of looking out for one another can't be restricted to our homes or our workplaces or our neighborhoods or our houses of worship. It also has to be reflected in our national government, the kind of leadership that's guided by knowledge and experience, honesty and humility, empathy and grace. That kind of leadership doesn't just belong in our state capitals and mayor's offices. It belongs in the White House. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made. And he became a close friend. And I believe Joe has all the qualities we need in a president right now. He's someone whose own life has taught him how to persevere how to bounce back when you've been knocked down. When Joe talks with parents who've lost their jobs, we hear the son of a man who once knew the pain of having to tell his children that he'd lost his. When Joe talks about opportunity for our kids, we hear the young father who took the train home each night so he could tuck his children into bed. And we hear the influence of Jill, a lifelong teacher. When Joe talks to families who've lost a hero, we hear another parent of an American veteran, a kindred spirit, somebody whose faith has endured the hardest loss there is. 
That's Joe. Through all his trials, he's never once forgotten the values or the moral fiber that his parents passed on to him and that made him who he is. That's what steals his faith in God, in America, and in all of us. That steal made him an incredible partner when I needed one the most. Joe was there as we rebuilt from the Great Recession and rescued the American auto industry. He was the one asking what every policy would do for the middle class and everyone striving to get into the middle class. That's why I asked him to implement the Recovery Act, which saved millions of jobs and got people back on their feet. Because Joe gets stuff done. Joe helped me manage H1N1 and prevent the Ebola epidemic from becoming the type of pandemic we're seeing now. He helped me restore America's standing and leadership in the world on the other threats of our time, like nuclear proliferation and climate change. Joe has the character and the experience to guide us through one of our darkest times and heal us through a long recovery. And I know he'll surround himself with good people. Experts, scientists, military officials who actually know how to run the government and care about doing a good job running the government and know how to work with our allies and who will always put the American people's interests above their own. Now, Joe will be a better candidate for having run the gauntlet of primaries and caucuses alongside one of the most impressive Democratic fields ever. Each of our candidates were talented and decent, with a track record of accomplishment, smart ideas, and serious visions for the future. And that's certainly true of the candidate who made it farther than any other, Bernie Sanders. Bernie's an American original, a man who has devoted his life to giving voice to working people's hopes, dreams, and frustrations. He and I haven't always agreed on everything, but we've always shared a conviction that we have to make America a fairer, more just, more equitable society. We both know that nothing is more powerful than millions of voices calling for change. And the ideas he's championed, the energy and enthusiasm he inspired, especially in young people, will be critical in moving America in a direction of progress and hope. Because for the second time in 12 years, we'll have the incredible task of rebuilding our economy. And to meet the moment, the Democratic Party will have to be bold. You know, I could not be prouder of the incredible progress that we made together during my presidency. But if I were running today, I wouldn't run the same race or have the same platform as I did in 2008. The world is different. There's too much unfinished business for us to just look backwards. We have to look to the future. Bernie understands that, and Joe understands that. It's one of the reasons that Joe already has what is the most progressive platform of any major party nominee in history. Because even before the pandemic turned the world upside down, it was already clear that we needed real structural change. The vast inequalities created by the new economy are easier to see now, but they existed long before this pandemic hit. Health professionals, teachers, delivery drivers, grocery clerks, cleaners, the people who truly make our economy run, they've always been essential. And for years, too many of the people who do the essential work of this country have been underpaid, financially stressed, 
and given too little support. And that applies to the next generation of Americans. Young people graduating into unprecedented unemployment. They're going to need economic policies that give them faith in the future and give them relief from crushing student loan debt. So we need to do more than just tinker around the edges with tax credits or underfunded programs. We have to go further to give everybody a great education, a lasting career, and a stable retirement. We have to protect the gains we made with the Affordable Care Act, but it's also time to go further. We should make plans affordable for everyone, provide everyone with a public option, expand Medicare, and finish the job so that healthcare isn't just a right, but a reality for everybody. We have to return the U.S. to the Paris Agreement and lead the world in reducing the pollution that causes climate change. But science tells us we have to go much further, that it's time for us to accelerate progress on bold new green initiatives that make our economy a clean energy innovator, save us money, and secure our children's future. Of course, Democrats may not always agree on every detail of the best way to bring about each and every one of these changes. But we do agree that they're needed. And that only happens if we win this election. Because one thing everybody has learned by now is that the Republicans occupying the White House and running the U.S. Senate are not interested in progress. They're interested in power. They've shown themselves willing to kick millions off their health insurance and eliminate pre-existing condition protections for millions more, even in the middle of this public health crisis, even as they're willing to spend a trillion dollars on tax cuts for the wealthy. They've given polluters unlimited power to poison our air and our water and denied the science of climate change, just as they denied the science of pandemics. Repeatedly, they've disregarded American principles of rule of law and voting rights and transparency, basic norms that previous administrations observed regardless of party, principles that are the bedrock of our democracy. So our country's future hangs on this election, and it won't be easy. The other side has a massive war chest. The other side has a propaganda network with little regard for the truth. On the other hand, pandemics have a way of cutting through a lot of noise and spin to remind us of what is real and what is important. This crisis has reminded us that government matters. It's reminded us that good government matters that facts and science matter, that the rule of law matters, that having leaders who are informed and honest and seek to bring people together rather than drive them apart, those kind of leaders matter. In other words, elections matter. Right now, we need Americans of goodwill to unite in a great awakening against a politics that too often has been characterized by corruption, carelessness, self-dealing, disinformation, ignorance, and just plain meanness. And to change that, 
We need Americans of all political stripes to get involved in our politics and our public life like never before. For those of us who believe in building a more just, more generous, more democratic America, where everybody has a fair shot at opportunity, for those of us who believe in a government that cares about the many and not just the few, for those of us who love this country and are willing to do our part to make sure it lives up to its highest ideals, now's the time to fight for what we believe in. So join us. Join Joe. Go to JoeBiden.com right now. Make a plan for how you are going to get involved. Keep taking care of yourself and your families and each other. Keep believing in the possibilities of a better world. And I will see you on the campaign trail as soon as I can. Thanks. Man, that's what a real president sounds like. Also, folks, a recent poll by Black Pack, an organization that helps get black people elected to the polls, revealed that Biden's chances for election increase if he selects a black woman for his running mate. 38%. 30% of those polls said they already plan to vote for him, but that would make them more enthusiastic about it. 27% said it doesn't change much. 17% said it would make them more likely to vote for Biden. And 5% said it would make them more likely to turn out and vote. Uh, Kelly, I want to start with you. Uh, your thoughts on Obama's now in the game. Uh, was that uh, a great opening statement uh, to begin with for Joe Biden? It's just refreshing to have somebody in the spotlight who knows more than 10 words at a time. It was just very nice to see someone who actually acts presidential. I'll just say that. Um, as uh, regarding what he actually said, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it. Like, he was... Absolutely right. Uh, specifically when he said Republicans aren't interested in progress, they're interested in power. And that has been evident for the past four or five years of Trump running for office and now um, having the presidency. It has been a whirlwind of cronyism, nepotism, xenophobia, racism, but more importantly, just power. And we have to dismantle that because we see what it gets when we are close to absolute power. Uh, we do have Democrats in various uh, spaces in the uh, federal government being, you know, SCOTUS, legislative branch, etc. But the fact that Republicans control the House, Republicans control the Senate, and we have a predominantly conservative uh, Supreme Court we see what happens with our jurisprudence. We see what happens with our legislation and we see what happens with our execution uh, plans when all three branches are controlled by one party that is not interested in the people, but in power. So Obama is absolutely right when we said when he said that we, we need to fight back on this. And Joe Biden is running for president. Join Joe. Now, your second point regarding a black woman being vice president. I don't have a problem with that either. Obviously, uh, but it has to be the right black woman. It has to be somebody who aligns uh, with the real core of the Democratic Party, with the crux of Joe Biden's uh, platform and, and policymaking. 
And I haven't seen anybody as of yet in the spotlight in that regard. Um, I do have my personal pick on who that should be. But in, in the Val Demings. Okay. Yeah. Val Demings. Um, and I haven't, but my thing is, I have not seen. Hello? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I have not seen the push for her so much as I've seen a push for Kamala Harris. Yeah, because public like, well, okay, yeah, but okay, but Kelly, there's a reason behind that. Val Demings didn't run for president. There's a reasoning behind it. No, Val, Congresswoman Val Demings did not run for president. She did not have an entire infrastructure behind her and from a national stand from a national standpoint, people only saw Congresswoman Val Demings on a national level during the impeachment. And so you only had a very small window there of, what, three weeks where you actually saw her right. operating on national stage. So it's no surprise that national push uh, because Kamala Harris still has an infrastructure in place of supporters who are pushing her. Oh, I totally understand that. No, I completely agree with you as to why that push isn't there. I would just like to see more of a push for Val Demings. Just because you don't have the infrastructure now doesn't mean that the infrastructure can't be built. Well, well, I well, I would I well go ahead and lead the Val Demings for VP coalition. Uh Karen, go ahead. I will join you. I will join you, Kelly. I think you are spot on. By the way, I just interviewed Val Demings today on my show. Uh law enforcement uh, definitely is totally a badass in Congress. Uh, but more importantly, she gives you Florida, which is a state... California's exactly. already around. You know, California's exactly. going to go for Joe Biden. Florida is one of those swing states that we absolutely need. And she's somebody who is not only well-liked in Florida... But, how, well but hold on, but how, how, does she, how does she give him Florida? Because people are going to turn out. Florida just had an election, right, where more than... Was it for uh, more than a million new voters who were formerly incarcerated, who were formerly disenfranchised, are now on the, uh, able to vote in Florida? But uh, but here but here's the deal though. Let's just let's just be clear here. And Mella, you can come in as you want to. John Edwards on the ticket in 2004 didn't give Kerry North Carolina. Lloyd Benson on the ticket in 1988 didn't give Dukakis Texas. Um, we can go down the line. We can go down the line. And so, it's, so I, I, I think that, I think, I think, I think, hold up, hold up, hold up. I think that conventional wisdom was the case prior to 1980. I just think that we're in a totally different I'm world not now. Conventional at all. If we're talking Val Deming, we're not talking conventional. No, 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 hold up. You well, said, you said, Val, you said Demings. You show said, up to vote. But wait a minute, hold up. You said Demings gives in Florida. What I'm saying I, is, there are, Al Gore, Al Gore, when he ran for president, didn't even win his own home state. He did not win Tennessee. You're correct. But okay. I'm not talking conventionally. I'm talking about what Joe Biden needs to win in, in no, 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 but I'm asking you. men who sat out in 2016 because they didn't like Hillary Clinton. They do not like Kamala Harris. They need to show up for somebody that they actually can So, get wait, wait, hold on, hold on. So, you're saying... gives them that. So, hold up. You're saying that black men... One of the things we heard that black men didn't like Harris is because she's a prosecutor. So you're saying they're going to show up for a police chief? Yeah, because they're not the same. Yes, I am saying that. And I stand by it. I'm the one that predicted Trump was going to win in 2016. Not a lot of people, including the polls, predicted that. Val Demings gives, gives the Democratic Party everything they need. They give, they, she gives them legitimacy in the black community. She is a 
She is not a politician, a normal politician. No, right. No, 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 no. no. But, but, I, but, but, but just to just explain, just, I mean, unpack how if black men didn't like a prosecutor, they don't like a police chief. They don't like Kamala Harris. So let's just, right. let's just be plain speaking, okay? It doesn't matter that she's a prosecutor. That's just an excuse or reason why not to like her. They don't like her for a lot of reasons. Val Demings mm -hmm. does not carry the same baggage that Kamala Harris carries. And I exactly. think in, in many ways, her being that politician and running for president actually hurts her. Putting her on the ticket is not going to help Joe Biden. I don't believe that. Malik. I think Val Demings helps, helps him way more than Kamala Harris. Malik. Um, uh, Guy, actually, you took you took what I was getting ready to say about Al Gore in um, Tennessee. I don't think that Val Demings can um, carry a, an entire state as a VP, so I don't think that she would be helpful to um, Joe Biden at all. But what I will say is that, you know, I'm not, you know, I like Kamala Harris, um, but I don't see how you get past Kamala Harris, the former California attorney general, current United States senator, the only black female United States senator and presidential candidate to Val Demings. And I like Val Demings. In fact, I, I was one of the ones who said that, you know, she probably could make a good VP candidate, but I don't see how you get past. She's not going to help Biden carry Florida, but I don't see how you just skip past Kamala Harris to Val Demings. If you're going to get a black woman on the ticket, that person probably needs to be. Kamala Harris. I don't think that that I don't think she will ultimately help Joe Biden win, but I don't see how you get past her to Donald Trump. Okay. Things would sooner give Joe Biden the Bible belt. He she would sooner give him the Bible belt than Kamala Harris. How? One second. One second. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. One second. Hold on one second. Kelly, when you say the Bible belt, First of all, are we speaking of a state or a region of the country? What are you talking about? Region of the country. Where? Florida, Alabama, Mississippi. You, you, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. You think that if Joe Biden chooses Congresswoman Val Demings, that's going to put him over the top to win Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas? I'm saying that if he chooses Val Demings over Kamala Harris, that would put him over the edge. In terms of in Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas, they resonate more with Val Demings than they do with Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, as accomplished as she is, does not resonate with every single black I, I, person. First of all, I don't think for a second that he could pick Senator Kamala Harris. He can pick Congressman Val Demings. Hell, he can pick Obama as his running mate, and he ain't gonna win <laughs> Mississippi, Alabama, and Texas. I'm not saying win it. I'm saying... You said no. No, you said... No, when you said that puts him over the top, that means win. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just trying... No, 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 no. Literally, I'm just trying to understand. When you say that puts him over the top in those states, that means you're saying that if he picks Congresswoman Demings, he can win Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas by picking Demings as his VP. Not in terms of winning the election. I'm saying... Well, what is he going to win? He already got the nomination. <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. No, no, I'm not... Sure, I'm just trying to understand. When you say over the in. top, what does that mean? She's saying that 
Val Demings gives him more sway in those areas where we need people to show up. What Kelly was saying was that this is about the people who are not, who are undecided right now. A hundred million people did not show up to vote in 2016. In order for the Democrats to win, you're going to need at least half of those people to show up in November. And Val Demings gives, I believe, Joe Biden a better chance at getting those people who are on the fence in all of those states, those swing states like Texas, like Florida, like even Wisconsin, which which is one of the most... Texas ain't no Swing state? United States. Listen, Karen. Karen, I am a registered voter in Texas. Show me where Texas is a swing state. Republicans control every statewide office in Texas. Where is it a swing state? Listen, things are changing so rapidly. It ain't changed that fast. All right. Well, let's let's see. I would love to see. Hold up. I just want look. I just want to help y'all out. Texas is not. A swing state. Beto be. lost by 2.5 points to uh, to that boy Cruz. Yeah, Texas Cruz. ain't a swing state until you register at least 30 to 50 percent of the two million eligible but unregistered Latinos. Texas is gonna be a red state. I know all that other stuff. They went look. I, I am still registered in Texas. I'm just saying, y'all, it ain't no swing state. It's not. It's not. See. It's not. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I feel you. I, I wish you, it was. Is, is the best pick. And I, I fear that Joe Biden's not going to pick her. All right. Um, final comments. Uh, first of all, Anthony, say about Obama's video. Anybody? Excellent. Yeah, sure. I, I think it was excellent. It's, it's, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's great to see my former president um, out there. I don't think that, unfortunately, Barack Obama can't run for a second term. So I don't think that he'll be much help. He'll be much help to Joe Biden. If you look at Obama's history of endorsing candidates, I expect him to be out on the campaign trail. He will generate a lot of support. Definitely more, a lot, you know, he can bring some of the black women out. He can have Michelle Obama and others out there. But ultimately, it's Joe Biden's race to run. And I don't see him winning really against anyone. I think 2016 was his year, his best year to beat Donald Trump. And I think had the Democrats actually put him up as a candidate over Hillary Clinton, we may be having a different discussion of who's president now, but I don't think Obama's going to matter ultimately as far as helping Biden get elected. Here's what I... But it's good seeing him. I like Obama. Go ahead. Who else is going to comment? Go ahead. I I think when he said that the Republicans are all about, uh, not about progress, but about power, and that this is not about going back, because a lot of people think they're putting a band together again, this is going to be Team Obama, but moving forward, I like the notion of Biden having a coalition of people who know how to do this. And I think Barack Obama's bringing to the forefront that there's going to be a team of people around Biden. It's not just about him, but a whole coalition to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And I, I was encouraged by that. Kelly? I just believe that whatever happens with this election, with Obama's endorsement and and Biden's campaign, we will actually see a glimpse of what a functional government will look like. Right now, we are in chaos and we are just disjointed as a country. I'm sure we have some historical references of, you know, instances where we have been divided like this before, but as somebody who is living right now, this is unprecedented. And 
Obama gave me just a little glimpse of hope that we could possibly return to a semblance of normalcy. It will never be what it was, but at least it could be a little bit functional again. Well, again, I, 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 think, I think when we use the word normalcy, I think for me, uh, we don't necessarily need a return to normal. Normal wasn't always great for black folks, but I do think we want to get away from crazy. And so I think uh, yes. that's one of the issues there. I will say this here, though, in terms of you know whether or not he picks uh, Congresswoman Demings or Senator Kamala Harris. I know both of them uh, very well. Here's the, here's the conundrum that Joe Biden is in. It's going to have to be a black woman. Because here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's why. This is real simple. Okay? You can have all the people they throw... They can throw out Senator Amy Klobuchar all day. They can talk about, oh, Klobuchar, Klobuchar can help him win the Midwest. Let, let, let me just go ahead and say this right now to Team Joe Biden. So let me explain to you how this is going to play out. If you pick somebody who's not black, and I'm just trying to just express to y'all um, what's real right now. If Vice President Joe Biden picks somebody other than a black woman to, to be his VP, he is guaranteed to lose. Here's why. Because... The one criticism that black people have consistently made about Democrats is that we are your political sharecroppers. We toil the soil, we carry the water, we do all of the heavy work, and then we don't get to benefit from the proceeds from the land. Joe Biden, flat out, undeniable, cannot be argued anywhere, is DOA politically if it is not for black people in South Carolina. Period. So what you will be saying is, thank you for saving my nomination, saving my political career, and I'm going to choose somebody who's not African-American. Now, let me be real clear. It does not mean that black people are saying, oh, if it ain't one of us, I ain't voting. What it is going to do is give legitimacy, legitimacy to the people who say, see, there you go. There they go. They did it again. We save your ass. Then you don't pick one of us. What Joe Biden cannot afford is a 2.4% decrease in black turnout that Hillary Clinton saw. He is not the same person. There are people who did not like Hillary Clinton. There were white men and black men and Latino men. There were white women. There were black women. There were people who did not. Her narrative had been etched in stone before she even ran in 2016. But what Joe Biden cannot do, he can ill afford to lose black support. And black people want Trump out more than anybody else. Now, wasn't the argument also that the reason Joe Biden should be the nominee is because he can appeal to the white folks in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in Michigan? So if that's the case, then why would you pick somebody who could supposedly appeal to the very constituency that you supposedly can appeal to? He's got a tough decision, but I'm, I'm telling y'all right now, if he picks somebody to be his VP, and I, Senator Elizabeth Warren is phenomenal. There are a number of other people out there. 
But I'm telling you, it will open up Pandora's box and you are going to hear a hell of a whole lot on social media, on black radio and other places. And that is something that he can ill afford at this time. Got to take a break, short break. When we come back, Lord, I can't wait till the pound talk about this one here. White boy, driver, uses the N-word. He ain't got no job today. That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. So a lot of y'all always asking me about terms, some of the pocket squares that I wear. Now, I don't know. Robert don't have one on. Now, I don't particularly like the white pocket squares. I don't like even the silk ones. And so I was reading GQ magazine a number of years ago, and I saw uh, this guy who had this, this pocket square here, and it looks like a flower. Uh, this is called a shibori pocket square. This is how the Japanese manipulate the fabric to create this sort of flower effect. So I'm going to take it out and then place it in my hand so you see what it looks like. And I said, man, this is pretty cool. And so I tracked down, the. it took me a year to find a company that did it. Uh, and so uh, they make these about 47 different colors. And so I love them because, again, as men, we don't have many accessories to wear. So we don't have many options. Uh, and so this is really a pretty cool uh, pocket screen. And what I love about this here is you saw uh, when it's uh, in, in the pocket, you know, it gives you that flower effect like that but if I wanted to also unlike other because if I flip it and turn it over it actually gives me a different type of texture and so therefore it gives me a different look so there you go so uh, if you actually want to uh, get one of these shibori pocket squares we have them in 47 different colors all you got to do is go to rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares so it's rollingthismartin.com forward slash pocket squares. All you got to do is go to my website uh, and you can actually uh, get this. Now, for those of you who are members of our Bring the Funk fan club, there's a discount for you to get our pocket squares. That's why you also got to be a part of our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, and so that's what we want you to do. And so it's pretty cool. So if you want to jazz your look up, you can do that. In addition, uh, y'all see me with some of the feather pocket squares. My sister who's a designer. She actually makes these. They're all custom made. So when you also go to the website, you can also order one of the customized uh, feather pocket squares uh, right there at rollingsmartin.com forward slash pocket squares. So please do so. And of course, uh, that goes to support the show. And again, if you're a Bring the Funk fan club member, you get a discount. This is why you should join the fan club. All right, y'all. You know what? Y'all go ahead and get the, go ahead and pull up the crazy ass white people stinger. I, I I don't I I keep I keep trying to tell y'all, whiteness will show itself at the wrong time and the wrong place. And Lord, this little boy from NASCAR done got himself in trouble. Y'all got the stinger? Go ahead and play it. No charcoal girls are allowed. I'm white. I got you, Carl. Selling water with our Whoa! Well, NASCAR star driver Kyle Larson was suspended indefinitely without pay on Monday. 
because this happened during a live stream of a virtual race on Sunday. There's a car on the low side. Clear inside. You can't hear me? Hey, nigger. Oh! Oh! Oh my gosh! No way! Oh. No way did that just happen. Kyle, you're talking to everyone, but... Yikes! <laughs> the people reacting were the other NASCAR drivers. Okay? So here's what was going on, Karen. Uh, in, in Kelly and Melick. So NASCAR has been holding these virtual races because of coronavirus. Can't hold these events. So they created this deal where these drivers are driving these online games. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, Fox Action Fox Sports actually brought, did a broadcast. Actually, it was pretty damn cool. Did a broadcast of this virtual NASCAR race. Pretty cool. So they're talking on their headsets with their crew as if they're in an actual NASCAR race. That's what the setup. So I want y'all to play it again, and then we'll just go ahead and play it. There's a car on the low side. Clear inside. You can't hear me? Hey, nigger. Oh! Oh! Oh my gosh! No way! Oh. No way did that just happen. Kyle, you're talking to everyone, but Yikes! <laughs> Kyle Larson drop this video after he got suspended. Yeah, I just want to say I'm sorry. Um, you know, last night I made a mistake and said the word that should never, ever be said. And, um, you know, there's no excuse for that. You know, I wasn't raised that way. You know, it's just an awful thing to say. And I feel very sorry for my family, my friends, my partners, the NASCAR community, and especially the African-American community. You know, I understand the damage is probably unrepairable, and you know, I, I own up to that. Um, but I just wanted to let you all know how sorry I am, and you know, I, I hope everybody is is staying safe during these crazy times. Thank you. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, Kyle, I hear you. Um, but um, eight hours ago, folks, um, go to my uh, iPad, please. Eight hours ago, this dropped. Breaking news, Chip Ganassi Racing ends relationship with Kyle Larson. Why is that the case? Kyle Larson's sponsors dropped out. They dropped him. McDonald's was one of their sponsors. Mm, they need black customers. Uh, I think I think Visa or City, but one of the other companies was as well. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Kelly. Um... I love the whole video. I wasn't raised that way. It was wrong. But he said nigga real fluently. It was, it was, it was very fluent. It just came, it just sort of just came out that with, was with slick. it came out with ease. I mean, it's like that, that was just, I wasn't surprised at all, at all. And the way that he said it with the hard R, like he was, wasn't even trying to, you know, conflate what he was trying to say. Like he knew what he was saying. He said it with, with gumption and with confidence. Like he he said it before. So I don't necessarily buy the whole, you know, I wasn't raised that way, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, maybe you didn't say it in your household, but you said it around your friends. You said it around some people who didn't catch, who didn't check you on it. You know, you said it often enough for you to slip in the middle of a professional setting for him. That is a professional setting. Yeah. He said that at work. 
Yeah. So let me go. So, Karen, uh, this is from the NASCAR statement. Larson has earned six victories, 56 top fives, 101 top tens. Uh, here we go to my iPad. Eight Bush Pole Awards in his NASCAR Cup Series career. All but four of his 223 Cup Series starts have come in the number 42 Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet. He registered one top five finish and three top tens and four starts this year before the COVID-19 pandemic placed the NASCAR season on hold. His contract with Ganassi was set to expire at the end of the year, making him a free agent. I came for the people out there who are black who don't follow NASCAR and the Some I, of us do. Well, huh? Some of us do. Well, Some of that, us that's do. Why I, first of all, that's why, I, that's why I said for the black people who don't follow it, because it's only a few black people who follow NASCAR. The reality is the teams, right. the, 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 the Chip Ganassi, they own the team. They have the sponsor deals. And when the major sponsors pulled out of that number 42 car, they had no choice but to fire him because it costs anywhere from 15 to $20 million a year to fund a top-level NASCAR team. They can't afford to lose that money. They had no choice but to fire him when they lost that money. Mm. Right. Uh, and, and money is at the root of all of this. Right. So but at the end of the day, you know, there's an inconsistency in the black community about the use of that word. And we give some people a free pass to use it. And other people, if they're cool, if they're down with us, they get to use it with the hard R or the A at the end. And then we get outraged when people use it as they do quite frequently on these video game platforms. And I don't know if you guys have kids that play, but they say some really horrific things and it's never monitored. And it's in, in, in that he's famous. <laughs> Puts a, puts a bullseye around him. But the reality is we accept this behavior all the time, unfortunately. But this is and actually not about us, though. Not about, it's not no, about us, it though. Be, though. No, no, no. First of all, first of all, as somebody who, first of all, I agree. Uh, if you use the N-word on my social media, I'm going to block you. I don't allow it. But the reaction here, though, I mean, that reaction wasn't for black people. He dropped it on Sunday. He gets suspended by NASCAR on Monday. His sponsors drop him on Tuesday. Right. And so what I'm saying is those corporate sponsors responded immediately to, no, no, we can't be funding a white guy who's using the N-word. Go ahead. Well, they look at their balance sheets and they know that the African-American community spends a trillion dollars. McDonald's is one of the biggest uh, beneficiaries of our dollars, Popeyes and others, right? It is not financially prudent to piss off black people, particularly in this marketplace when you need our discretionary income even if we don't have it, we spend it, a trillion plus annually on their goods and services. It's just good business. And I wish we would leverage that power so much more frequently than we do. Here is, we don't. Here is, uh, I'm going to pull this up here, Melek, before I go to you. Um, this is the story from ESPN. Uh, McDonald's, here we go to my iPad. McDonald's, Credit One Bank, and Fiserv, a financial services technology company that runs the Clover platform that had sponsored Larson, terminated their sponsorship deals. Chevrolet terminated its personal services relationship with him. Uh, Brent Powell, president of Plan B Sales and Marketing, was the only sponsor to remain behind Larson. He said the driver called him personally to, quote, express his regret about what, transpi what transpired. Um, and, but, but the reality is this here, he cost himself a whole lot of money, Malik. Yeah, he, he, he did. And I think I, I didn't realize until I was reading up on the story that he's actually half Asian. Um, but 
it, usually, you know, there are many times where I'll say we have to understand the context in which these remarks were made, but he didn't say nigga. He didn't, he wasn't talking about like my niggas in Paris or that's my nigga or something like that. He said nigger. The ER really, really matters here nah, because that no means doubt. it was deliberate. No doubt. And the reason that you know that he was deliberate in saying it is because after they said, oh, you're listening to everybody, he laughed it off. He didn't say oops or anything. He said, I, I think that was him. I, I'm assuming that was him that did the, oh, I think that was actually Kyle Larson who did that. So he didn't say, oh, my goodness, I didn't mean to say that or anything. He laughed, and so well, he kept. He, well, he, he kept. He, well, he, well, he kept driving. It's not going to matter what he. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, he kept driving. He, I mean, he was he was in ah. the race, and he kept driving. But here's the deal, though. First of all, let's just be real clear, okay? I don't give a damn about the er or the a. It's the same word, okay? That don't change no context. Don't change the meaning. We black people do it. It's the same. The word is the same, okay? I don't even go down that line. But what's interesting is that he's out, and obviously this is a different deal, but remember Riley Cooper, the Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver. Mm -hmm. Remember, he kept playing. He didn't, he didn't get cut by the Eagles and later signed a whole new contract. And so, and it was interesting in terms of how that transpired. Uh, but And again, you could talk about NASCAR and Confederate flag waving and all that stuff, yeah. but... The bottom line is here. Those teams are like, yeah, those companies, mm, now nah, you got to go, player. You got to go. But that's why I keep trying to tell these people out here. Y'all can dance around this all you want to. I'm just saying to the people caring out there, and it drives me crazy when they say, and I've had black people tell me, man, I just can't stop saying the word. Yes, you can. I said the word probably the first 20 years of my life, and then when I realized, okay, why the hell am I using the word of white oppressors? Stop. Don't use it. Don't even try to, oh, I'm going to use it sometimes. No, do not use it. I only use it within the context of these stories because I don't want to say, well, so-and-so said the end. Well, no, 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 I'm going to say what he exactly said. Uh, and th that's just the real deal here. Uh, but uh, as I say, you're going to learn today, and it cost him some serious money. Some serious money. Folks, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Click Karen, glad to have you uh, today uh, via Skype. Thanks. Kelly, thanks a lot. Melly, thanks a lot. Folks, don't forget... If you want to support what we do here, Roller Martin Unfiltered, look, we're the only show out here that's bringing y'all news every day. In fact, uh, today, uh, Tegna announced that they are canceling the show Sister Circle. Uh, it aired on TV One. It was not, let me tell y'all, Sister Circle was not a TV One show. TV One was paying about $300,000 a year to license Sister Circle from Tegna. Tegna was a, group, a local a television station group. The show was shot in Atlanta. They announced today, Sister Circle is canceled. So what does that mean? Of the eight targeted networks, the target networks target or own targeted or owned by black people, there is not a single daily show that's news and information. I'll put Sister Circle in that category with a lot of the topics they did. There is not one. There's not one on TV One, on my, their sister channel, My Cleo TV, My Cleo, BT, BT Her, Aspire. Magic Johnson's channel, Revolt, Diddy's channel, OWN, Oprah's channel, Bounce, a broadcast network. That's eight. Black News Channel, they just started. They just fired their CEO, uh, but people barely even see them. So they're, they're still just trying to get people to even, even see that they exist. So the reality is this, people. 
We the best game in town. We don't do specials on black people with coronavirus. We do it every single day. We don't do specials uh, on African-Americans and mass incarceration in the criminal justice system. We don't do, oh, a five-part series. We're here every single day holding it down, speaking to the issues that you care about, having the top black experts around the country or need your support. Radio One laid off 400 people. Cumulus laying off people like crazy. Uh, I can go all these media companies. ESPN, Disney just announced they are asking their top 100 stars to take a, tw- a 15 or 25% pay cut uh, because uh, primetime ratings are down, advertising is down. I'm not trying to lay off. Like, y'all, we only have a staff, literally, total of 10 people. I'm not trying to lay people off. So we need your support. We need you to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans to contribute 50 bucks each for the year. That's $4, that's a little more than $4 a month, 13 cents a day. We got Cash App, we got PayPal, you want to use Square. I've had people who say, hey, I don't use any of those, can I mail a check? You can do that, just go to rollingsmartin.com and just send me an email. But I'm saying that because it's this here. And again, I appreciate the special that Diddy did on State of Emergency, Black Black People and Coronavirus. Oprah is doing a special for her series that she does with Apple Plus uh, and with her Instagram. But we gotta have this discussion every day. We can't just be doing a special because we ain't just special. We ain't a special folk. What I mean by that is we can't just talk about our stuff every now and then. There has to be a place where black commentators and black radio talk show hosts and black uh, political analysts can come to speak to our issues every single day. We have been here since September 4th, 2018. Every single day. 350 hours of original content last year. That's what we produced. That's way more than what we produced at TV One on a $5 million budget. And trust me, our budget ain't even $5 million, ain't even close to $5 million. $5 million could fund this show for the next five years. That was my yearly budget at TV One. So the point I'm making is this here. We need your support uh, to make this happen. So please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, if you can do 50 bucks or more, up to you. Uh, if you have less, that less, that's fine, because the bottom line, is, bottom line is here. Every dollar counts. We are going to be here, folks. And we're going to be, try to be here. We don't know how long it's going to last. We're gonna try to be here every single day, giving you the news and information you desperately need. And that's why it's important. So please go to rollermartinunfiltered.com. You can go to our, uh, you can go to our uh, page as well. You can go to any of those uh, to support what we do. Cash App is right there on the bottom. Well, let me go right there. Dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Uh, flip to the PayPal, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered as well. Got something for you as well, folks. And so um, on Thursday, on Thursday, my man, Gerald Albright, is going to be here. Go ahead and play a little bit of this, and I'm going to come back and tell you.
So on Thursday, 7.45 p.m., after we get done with the show, Gerald Albright is going to have a live jam from G's place, from his house. We're going to stream it across Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, Instagram Live. It's going to be benefiting the Musicians Relief Fund. The money raised during this 45-minute jam session will benefit the Musicians Relief Fund. I told y'all ain't nobody else doing what we do. So my man, Gerald Albright, my frat brother, is going to be with us 7.45 to 8.30 for a live jam session right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. That's why we do what we do. Go to the Instagram page, Facebook, and Twitter. You will see his cash app to benefit the Musicians Relief Fund because, y'all, it's a whole bunch of musicians who can't perform. They can't pay their bills, and Gerald wants to help them out. So a live 45-minute jam session right here on Thursday. Y'all, you know it's going to be funky. That's why we do hashtag bring the funk. I got to go. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.